Hi everyone, Steve here, introducing episode five of Performance Talks, where Simon and I have a great chat with Andrew Kayser. Andrew is a strength and conditioning coach for HC Torpedo in the KHL, and prior to that, he worked in the WHL, which is Russia's elite ice hockey league for women. Before that, he was with the National Canoe Team at the Chinese Olympic Committee. We have a lot of shared experiences, as you can imagine. So this talk focused quite a lot around ice hockey, Andrew's experiences in Russia, and how he's experienced working in both men's and women's ice hockey. We also managed to get some great content about his work in canoe. Before we get into it, I'm really happy to say that we've officially launched the podcast now, which comes along with social media. So make sure you give us a follow on Instagram, where you'll find us as Performance Talks, and Twitter, where our handle is Perform Talks. Okay, let's go on to episode five with Andrew Kayser. Okay, guys, thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, as we were talking earlier, it was, uh, it's uh, very humble to be on and uh, talk to you too as uh, you guys uh, literally started this whole roller coaster for me, uh, you know, a Canadian going to China and now ending up in Russia, you know, three years later. So as I say, I'm very humbled and uh, appreciative of, of you too. So uh, excited to chat today. Wicked. It's a pleasure having you on the pod. Um, we do generally start off by asking people a kind of common theme about your, a um, little bit more about your background, how you um, got into the industry, what inspired you to get into the industry, but also touch on any mentors that you've had along the way that you feel have um, shaped you through your career so far. Yeah, Simon. So basically, uh, you know, I, I guess uh, I, I want to say it started 20 years ago, but, you know, I'm only 30 years old. So it, it started, uh, you know, only about seven, eight years ago. And, in, in, uh, you know, after my undergraduate degree, um, young 22 year old, 23 year old kid, not really knowing what he wanted to do. And, and uh, sure enough, I wanted to do a postgraduate uh, that was in exercise science that came along um, in Toronto, my hometown in Canada there. So I came along and I said, sure, might as well. I, I got accepted. So I did it at Guelph Humber University. And then I met a professor there who uh, was the intro to strength and conditioning. So his name is Brent Welsh and uh, he's an awesome dude. And he, uh, he kind of just opened me up to the world. Of, I mean, I was working out, but I was doing, you know, workouts, uh, whatever you want to call them uh, when I was doing them. And uh, Brent kind of opened my eyes to a whole different world of, uh, you know, training athletes, which I knew was a thing at the time, of course, but uh, I didn't know. Um, I guess he was just a guy I looked up to. And I, I guess I thought it was, it was cool at the time. So long and short is that uh, I got an internship with a guy named Matt Nickel, who uh, the three, you know, three of us are pretty quite familiar with. Um, he worked out of uh, St. Mike's Arena at the time, and uh, he hired me as an intern that summer. Um, I did a three-month internship with him, 400 hours, and then uh, he hired me right after that. So I worked for him for about four years. And, uh, and then after that, um, you know, that was an, obviously an amazing experience. I owe much of my success to Matt and, and his teachings and, and uh, just his knowledge and his his overall, um, you know, just overall wealth of, of, uh, of what he was demonstrating in the gym, outside the gym as a person. Um, after that, I kind of uh, branched off from Matt and, uh, and I was looking at jobs and the, the China gig, the first China gig that I actually applied to was, was the Ron Rakifery one. I'm sure you guys remember that. Um, and, uh, Ron, I guess at the time, you know, he was getting a hundred, 200 emails a day. So he never got back to me, unfortunately, but, um, but as I applied to, uh, the one for the COC, which was with YouTube beauties, um, I, I didn't know that Ron got back to me anyway, regardless. Um, I remember obviously being hired by YouTube. So I owe, you know, as I said earlier, a lot, a lot of my success in the past couple of years to you guys, because that was a big step for me, not alone. You know, I, I've been to you know, the U.S., Mexico, U Europe, but China is obviously uh, um, a different demon in the sense that not many people, you know, think to just drop everything and move there. So let alone work there. So got the job with uh, in the COC with you guys at the end of 2018, I believe it was October I got there and uh, 
worked with the canoeing team out of all teams. I remember Steve uh, Simon, I think we, we sat down right when I got there and they're like, listen, we know you got a background in this, this, and this, but we're going to put you in this because that's kind of how things fall here. So I was like, yeah, great. Sounds good. Whatever. And uh, I think it was about eight, nine, 10 months later, you know, um, Phil, uh, Joseph, as you guys know, a good friend of mine, we worked together pretty, uh, pretty religiously in hung Joe there, um, for the canoe team. And then, um, Steve, you had gotten a job with, uh, the KRS men's team and, uh, put my name in the hat for the women's team, which again, I can't thank you enough for because that kind of started this whole roller coaster. And uh, I got that job with the women's team. And then that was an obviously amazing year. We won the championship uh, in, in March, 2020 here. And then, uh, you know, a couple months later, I, I uh, got the job with uh, in the KHL with Torpedo. So um, yeah, it just kind of, uh, it's a snowball effect and I'm going to keep riding it. So awesome stuff, man. Yeah. It's funny. When I think back, I remember one of the first days, maybe even the first day in China, me, you, Phil, and I think it was Lucy. We went out for dinner. Do you remember that night? Went to that Chinese barbecue place uh, oh, yeah. up, up on Ghost Street. That was fun. Yeah. Awesome yeah. stuff, man. Um, great. So listen, let's jump straight into it. So first year in the KHL, um, that league comes with a lot of reputation. Some of it good, some of it not so good. I've been there. I, I've been, been there and done it. Um, you guys had a huge win yesterday, 7-1, I think, against uh, Nizhny Kamp's Neftahimik. I guess I'll say that one and make Simon... Uh, that's a, that's like, a good pronunciation, I'm sure. Been there a few times, you know how it is. Um, you guys are, are riding high, coming up in sort of the, the last third of the season, and you guys are looking solid for a playoff spot. So... Um, just talk to us a little bit about how you're finding Russia, how you're finding the KHL and, and everything in between. You know, it, to your point, Steve, it's, uh, you, you know, we got a third of the season left, maybe even less. Um, and obviously, you know, the KHL is a grind, 60, 62 games, uh, what have you. Um, so, uh, you know, I've been in Russia, obviously, a lot last year. So, um, so I, I knew what to expect. Um, and we actually came to Nizhny because they have a women's team here. So, you know, I've been in Nizhny. I mean, I'd been in Nizhny twice before actually, you know, living here uh, while I work now. I, I, I really love Russia. I mean, Moscow or St. Petersburg, as, I, as I've said to many people, I'd live there. Uh, there. You know, Moscow's 20 million people, amazing city. But I find St. Petersburg one of my favorite cities um, in the world. Um, yeah, the league is uh, the league's amazing. I mean, what a league, though, like. The, just the distance it covers. I mean, you know, you look at the scale of, of Canada and the U.S. and the NHL and, you know, five-hour flight to Vancouver, you know, from Toronto, and then you're looking from Toronto to L.A., which is maybe six six hours. I, I, I don't know, but, uh, you know, and then you look, at, you look at a flight from maybe even St. Petersburg to Amour, which is like, you know, 10 to 12 hours, which is just absurd to think about it. So, uh yeah, I mean, just uh, an interesting league. And I mean, obviously, it spans over five countries this year because uh, Chinese Chinese team obviously moved to Moscow. So, Yeah, I remember um, working. We had Dusty Emu on our coaching staff last year, and, and he's spent some time with the Kings. And he was saying, like, man, I remember, you know, in the NHL, if we had a four-hour flight, we were losing our minds about how far the distance is. And like you say, especially last year being based in Beijing and you're going Beijing to Helsinki, like <laughs> you got 11 hours on a flight there. So uh, yeah, it's pretty tough. What um, I'm interested to know how you're finding Nizhny Novgorod because I only spent, you know, the usual 48 hours there and man, I couldn't wait to get out of that city. Um, but I know it's, it's meant to be quite a nice city. So I'm interested to know what you're taking it on it is. And, and it's funny you say that. So when I, when we came with the women's team, you know, you only see maybe an eighth of the city and, you know, uh, you're going, wow, this city's probably 200,000 at best. And sure enough, little did I know it's 1.3, 1.4 million. So, you know, like massive city that's surrounded by river and yes, you know, you know, winter in Russia is the majority of, of the season. So, 
you know, when I got here in August, summers are gorgeous here and the city's actually pretty nice. So there's some great areas, especially downtown. Um, the outskirts, um, you know, I've never really been there, but, uh, you know, I, I, I actually thoroughly enjoy the city. I mean, with the limited area I've seen, of course. Wicked. Sounds awesome. I remember, Steve, when you first joined uh, the league and you sent me a map of all the all the cities that you're going to and the various flights and things, and it's just mind-boggling. I mean, you know, we're, we're obviously both British and, like, living in the UK and Europe, distances are really small, really small, and I thought Canada was something, but then when you get to Russia, it's on a whole new scale. Um, so that's, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, just wanted to um, kind of chat to you about that cultural difference and the fact that you've, you know, you've obviously grown up in Canada where hockey is like the religion, it's the sport in Canada, um, and then moved, moved around for work and moved to China, moved to Russia to get work. So I just wondered if you wanted to sort of chat about that experience and how each country approaches it slightly differently and maybe what you've learned from um from each place that you've worked along the way well i know that the three of us can speak on the chinese cultural differences just in the sense that i feel north america we're very there's a plan there's always something like this is what we're going to do monday this is what we're going to do tuesday but this plan didn't start monday it started three mondays ago right we we, we plan we structure accordingly i found in china it was a lot like and today we're doing this and it was like you know, that takes weeks of planning. So I, um, you know, that was, that was obviously different for me. And, but you kind of, you know, sink or swim. I mean, you know, I learned that pretty quick. And I, I'm sure I know the three of us learned that pretty quick in the sense that, you know, if you're given a task for that week, it's got to be accomplished. And I know, you know, the canoeing team, you know, just to speak on my experiences with the canoeing team, with the COC, you know, we'd have weekly Sunday meetings and they'd be three, four hours. I know you guys have been in those meetings or longer meetings and, you know, you don't know what's going on half the time, but your interpreter is talking in your ear very quietly. And then sure enough, they're saying something that you're like, you totally don't agree with. And then you say something and then it's another hour conversation. And then, you know, it, it just snowballs. So it's, I, I found it was better just sometimes to, you know, just nod and smile and, uh, and then, um, you know, talk to your coach afterwards and kind of come to a, an agreement on whatever the case was. Yeah. How on that note, how are you finding the language? Obviously, you know, we've all been in China and some teams you get interpreters, some teams you don't. I know that your head coach is, am I right in saying he's like half Canadian, half Russian? Is that Correct. I'm not sure, but he speaks both languages, right? How, how do you get on with the players and the league in general with, with stuff like the language barrier? So with my team, it's actually, uh, it's quite great. So all my coaching staff is fluent in English. Um, and they're also all four of them are fluent in Russian. So David Nimorowski was born in Toronto, Canada, but he, uh, but he's also, his family came from Russia. So he has dual citizenship. Um, my assistant coach, Sandis Ozilage, which is a huge mentor of mine, as well as David is, um, Sandis is fluent in Latvian, Russian, and English. Um, Artyom Chubarov, fluent in English and Russian. And then, you know, Volvar goalie coach is fluent in like four languages. So these guys are well, you know, they're mid forties, early forties. So they've been around the block a couple of times and all of them played the NHL. So um they've they've learned english from the nhl and brought it back and, and just kept going with it now the support staff they speak little english but you just find a way to communicate and at the end of the day you're all working towards a common goal as you guys know so um and you, you speak the hockey language like the equipment managers and i get along amazing they i make them laugh every day and they make me laugh every day and some of them don't like they speak like their english is yes and no and that's it <laughs> do you, and, you know, uh do you make them laugh by trying to speak russian oh it's it's a bit of both like you know you can do gestures and sometimes i can pick up on things and then you'll and all i know is really swear words so i'll just swear in <laughs> russian a lot and and the boys will laugh so I, <laughs> it's so, the best uh, way to bond yeah <laughs> 
so, but with the players, I mean, we have, we have six imports on our team from Canada and the U S and then uh, oddly enough, a lot of our Russian guys played in the OHL. So they know a little bit of English to a lot of English. So, and then our, our better, you know, like there's a big range on our team, but I would say majority, probably three quarters of our team speaks English. So it's, I'm, I'm quite fortunate in that sense. That's awesome, man. And um, I've seen certainly from, it looks like from your pictures from social media that you get to go out on the ice with them as well. Um, I don't know how much you, you do. I, that was something I never got to do last year. So I was strictly doing everything off the ice. I'm, I'm really interested to sort of hear from you about how you get involved, you know, and how it differs from being in the gym with them and sort of stuff you're doing there. And then what you're doing on the ice with them as well. So the on, on the ice is, um, I generally do it generally for rehab purposes only. So, you know, we've had a couple incidences this year, obviously you guys know men's hockey, you know, you're, you're playing an amplitude of games in a short period of time, injuries are bound to happen. So we've had a couple adductor issues. We've had a couple, you know, knee issues. We've had a couple just standard hockey, uh, injuries that I've had to bring guys back with. So the first couple skates, I, you know, maybe for the first week, or two, depending on the injury, I will join the guys for, you know, just, just going out there, you know, getting a feel for the box, some easy conditioning drills, circle drills, flow drills, but just one-on-one with me, receiving a pass, stick handling, um, receiving a pass and shooting. Um, as I say, I do have a hockey background. I played junior, you know, played triple A, excuse me. Um, which is, you know, minor stuff, but I kept going with it, which I know is, is obviously very helpful, uh, you know, working in the KHL or, uh, you know, and hopefully the NHL one day. So uh, rehab purposes. And then on game days that uh, we have a coaches versus the guys who aren't playing on our team game. So <laughs> we do a three, uh, three on three, four on four game, just to kind of uh, have a little fun uh, on game day. So. Nice. Sounds awesome. Um, Steve, you talk, you guys talk about getting on the ice. When I was with the figure skating team, I got out on the ice once. And as a, as a British guy who can barely skate, I, uh, I made everyone laugh <laughs> quite a lot. But my, uh, I can, I can do a couple of laps, but I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was, a, that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Uh, I love the fact that, you, you know, you're saying there about um, working with a lot of guys who have obviously played in the OHL, a, um, AHL and the NHL, obviously, is the, the pinnacle there and you want to get there one day. How does it feel for you, um, having grown up in hockey and, and sort of uh, grown up in Canada, like I said before, where it's basically a, a religion, having to move abroad um, in order to get a job in the sport that you love? Yeah, I, you know, that's a great question. I know the three of us have all done that. And, you know, we, we've sacrificed, uh, you know, once, twice, three, four, five times, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, I've, you know, I've been overseas now three years since, as I said, October 2018. So, you know, it does take a toll. Um, you know, I have a longtime girlfriend back home. And uh, obviously, our relationship is, uh you know, it's very strong, but obviously it could be a lot stronger uh, if we were, you know, together all the time. But, uh, you know, if, we, if we've gotten through this, we're going to keep going kind of thing. So um, it is obviously hard, you know, not seeing your friends and family as well. And, and uh, but, you know, thank gosh for Zoom and, and FaceTime these days, because I don't know how guys did it, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you know, send a letter call call someone and and hopefully you know the call's not forty dollars for two minutes or whatever so uh yeah i i just very thankful so that we have this technology now to talk about it hey listen i'll uh i'll tell you a story here i will not name the the person but somebody i have worked with in the past did not need to have to do the job he was doing did not need to live halfway around the world and when i asked him why he did it he just said listen if i had to live with my wife for 365 we would be divorced for sure it's like so this is the way that we stay married so uh yeah man i feel you you know we've all been there we've all done it and it's and it's really tough it's interesting i was i've been chatting to a couple of young coaches over the last few days as well and there's this 
I don't know, this thought or this perception about the industry itself and that there's no jobs or jobs are impossible to get. Um, and, and I just thought the three of us, it's a nice little segue to sort of chat a little bit about the industry and the the sacrifices that you have to make, I guess, isn't it? Because people will, will say to you, oh, there's, there's no jobs or there's no money in strength and conditioning. And like, you know, without banging on too much we've all had great jobs we've we've all earned pretty good money um the jobs are there i just think that sometimes it's the people don't want to do what it takes to get those jobs you know i i'm teaching now at university and the the students are saying to me like you know i don't even know if i want to work in strength and conditioning like i could go and be a manager at mcdonald's and earn more money than this and i'm like well if that is the limit to your employability, you're probably not a very good SSC coach. You know what I mean? Like it, it sounds brutal, but if you can't get a good job in this industry and you can't get a good salary in this industry, either you aren't very good or you aren't prepared to sacrifice. I don't know what you guys think about that. Uh, I totally agree with you, Steve. I, I mean, you know, as I said earlier, we all have to sacrifice and we've all moved abroad, you know, for our greater good and, and for our learning and our education and, uh, you know, to become better at our crafts. And, you know, obviously it took me to China and now to Russia. So um, I feel that I've become such a better, different different as in good, different strength coach, um, since, you know, 2018, I look back at 2018 me, if, if, if a player didn't do something that I gave him or her, I, I, I would get paranoid. I would like, well, why didn't you do it? I gave it to you. You did your own thing. How, how dare you? And now 2012, 2021 Kayser is more, you know what? Sure. If, if, if you don't want to do my program, which is it for your greater good, um, then you, you can do what you want, but make sure you always come back to me. My program's there for you to do, but if you don't want to do it, then to each his own, right? But I've built that buy-in with the boys that they always do my program and, and they always reach out to me, you know, via text or if they're not, if they don't understand something or whatever. So I think that's, you know, speaks to, you know, not only what I've been doing, but what, the, what you guys have taught me as well. So. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think um, first off to your point, Steve, for anyone like coming through the industry, I think it's just really important for everyone to know that it's a global industry. The, like you said, the jobs are out there, but they're not at the end of your street. They're not going to be in your hometown. You're going to have to travel right? Like we, particularly in the UK, we're kind of lucky in the fact that there's so many professional sports clubs relatively close. Like you've got the premiership and like four more divisions of professional football just in, in a very small space. So a lot of people in the UK don't necessarily think about going abroad as much, but when you, um, when you go to other countries, like that's the norm, like, you know, people know they have to travel in all sorts of industries. So why is our industry, um, necessarily any different um, and then to your point Andrew I I love that I completely agree with the uh, what you were saying about building that building that trust and and buying and how moving internationally and and going to lots of different environments really shapes you and changes you as a as a coach and that ability to to kind of learn that actually it's not it's not necessarily about you do you know what I mean? Like that's the, that's the, you know, the ego thing. Um, I remember when I, you know, when I was younger and older coaches would say, oh, you know, make sure you leave your ego at the door. And you're always like, well, I am, I'm a pretty, you know, sort of humble guy. I think I don't think I have an ego, but what they actually mean is that it's like, it's not necessarily about you. And sometimes it takes some different experiences to learn that. Like you've, you know, you've joined a new team, it's your first year with the team these guys have been doing whatever they've been doing for their career up to this point why are they necessarily going to automatically follow everything that you're telling them to do whereas if you can have that understanding that like, hey look you know you you do what makes you feel good 
but check in with me and we'll discuss it. And if you've got some questions, I can help you out. And then that builds that trust and buy-in so that over time, they actually will come to you for more and more. And that only builds that one builds the relationship and the trust, but then helps to build the, you know, the program that you want to instill in the team and the kind of work ethic that you want to instill going forwards. Um, so, you know, how, how do you see that evolving? Like over the next season or two, have you thought ahead to how you want that to, to develop? Uh, yeah. Basically, uh, great question, Simon. Um, so, I mean, if we, if I could take you guys back to kind of how I did it in August, um, I just kind of, uh, you know, I, I went in with the, this is how I coach. And Simon, you brought it up a couple podcasts ago. I've listened to all your podcasts since you guys opened the floor up to, uh, to Apple podcasts. Great, great plug, um, by the way, great uh, plug. Go back and listen. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but nobody, nobody cares how much, you know, until, until they know how much you care. And I've, uh, Matt taught me that years ago. And that has been my kind of my mantra, if you will, as a strength coach, I, I care, I genuinely care about these guys and, you know, I'll, I'll go above and beyond if need be, whether it be a simple text at the end of the day, Hey, how's your shoulder? Hey, how's, you know, cause, cause I actually, you know, I actually give a crap. I don't know if we're bleeping things out here, so I'll just <laughs> stick with just the say uh, what you like, mate. It's fine. Thirteen language. I don't. It's not spitting checklets. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, you know, I actually care about these guys, and and I, I want the best for the team, and I want the best for them as as a human. You know, you think human first, athlete second. So that's kind of again how I coach. So I started with that in August, and and you know, it took me a good month of grinding. But then as soon as you have the boys on your side, they will do whatever you tell them to do. And, uh, you know, Steve, that's something you taught me years ago. That's something, um, you know, a good friend of mine, uh, Simon, uh, excuse me, Santa Sozalich taught me, who's my assistant coach here. Um, you know, if, if you can build that buy-in and show them that you actually care, they will run through a wall if you tell them that's good for their hip flexors or whatever, you know? So, um, I've started to do, I did that all year and it's been really successful for me now building on it for next year. Obviously I'm on a one-year contract, so who knows where that could take me for next year, but, um, I'm going to do this similar approach and, um, what, what I found about our industry and, and not only strength and conditioning, but the ice hockey industry is that everybody knows everybody. So, you know, I, I've, I've always tried to be a good person and, and uh, a good guy. And, and just, I, as you guys know, that's who I am. I, I've never been a bad person, you know, or, or genuinely chirped other coaches for doing, you know, exercises that I don't necessarily agree with or whatever. That's kind of not me. Um, but you know, who knows what will happen for next year, because, you know, as you said, everyone knows everyone. And it's one of those, hey, you know, someone's looking for this, someone's looking for that. And sure enough, you get an interview somewhere and who knows. So I, I don't know. But uh, I obviously you guys know my ultimate goal is the NHL. So who knows where that could lead. So. Yeah, I, that's such a huge point, again, for for those younger coaches as well, isn't it? And, and people ask me, you know, how did I how do I get my jobs? And I might I get my jobs from Simon, <laughs> but, um, but you know, you know, I got my, I, I got my job originally with this CSE through a friend. Then I got a job through another friend. Then I got a job through Simon. Then I got a job for a friend, you know, again, when I had that opportunity, when I was with Red Star and they asked me, did I know anyone to go and work for the women's team? You were the first person that I thought of because I, I've worked with you. I know that you're competent, but I also know that you're a great guy and you're going to do right by the team. Do you know what I mean? And so, you know, that's that element can't be overlooked by by young coaches of of just being a decent person first and first and foremost. Yeah, I think you guys are so right. Like rule number one, don't be a dick. Um, that goes so far in in life. Um, I, I do want to touch on though, that idea of like, I, I used to hate that idea of the kind of jobs for the boys mentality. Um, 
but the more you're in the industry and the more you know the kind of pressure that people are under you do see why people get recommendations and you you know it's not a case of you know you getting hired just because steve recommended you it's like people are just doing their due diligence saying hey let's ask all the people around us that we trust is there anyone that you know of and we'll have a chat with them and and kind of take it from from there um so i do you know i obviously i think it's uh it's hard sometimes when a lot of jobs don't necessarily get advertised but like you say once the you know once you're in the industry um lots of people you know they they kind of know each other and they'll put in a good word for you if you're a good good guy or a good coach and and but to both your points to kind of circle back on it i mean Steve, as you said, you haven't applied for the last three or four jobs of, of yours. You've just been kind of shown a contract because you're a good person. And that's, you know, as I said, I don't know if you remember this, Steve, but in Hangzhou, when we were outside, you guys, you know, when you, you Fran and, and uh, Simon, you guys came down in Hangzhou in the canoeing base, that was that man-made lake. And you guys were there for a good month or two, and you guys kind of had no idea what you were there for a month. <laughs> I remember it well. I don't, I don't know what you mean. There was a there was a great plan. It was really well executed. <laughs> um, I think me, Steve, and uh, and Stevie B put the plan together on the back of a napkin on the train down. <laughs> oh yeah, that was a fun trip. So, what I wanted to say is, I I remember Steve. I sat you down. I don't remember if you remember this. I said, Steve, I would always, you know, I know we we both love ice hockey, and that's kind of our passions, and that's where we see ourselves in, you know, a couple of years. I said I'd always love to work for you or work beside you, um, and uh, and I think I hope that resonated with you because it sure I, I'll never forget that conversation because um, you know that meant a lot to me for you to kind of be like uh, you know I'll I'll always you know remember that and. And, uh, you know, kind of look where it, it, it led me. So, uh, you know, thanks again. Yeah, bud, we were, uh, we were sat down outside the restaurant. I remember it very well. It yeah, great, great conversation. And uh, yeah, like I said, it, it stuck with me. And you were the first guy I thought of when that, when that women's team job came up. Um, I'm interested to hear a couple of points because I've, I, I when I was in the KHL, you know, obviously most of my players were North Americans. They came in to training camp in great shape. Now I've heard uh, some some contrasting stories about some of the Russians. So firstly, I'm interested to know about your training camp and how it went and, and how you found it. Um, and then secondly, I know that obviously, you know, we can't avoid or escape this global pandemic situation. And the KHL kind of surprised a lot of people and forged ahead playing a, a full season. Um, some, some teams are behind closed doors. Some teams have fans. There's been a lot of sort of COVID issues. I know that you were quarantined for quite a while. I know a lot of guys in your team have been quarantined. So um, I, I'm also interested to hear like how you've been training them kind of again, like on, on zoom or whatever. So I'll take you back to training camp. Um, I signed my contract early June, mid June ish. And then of course, visa stuff with everything going on right now in the world took me, it took me about five weeks since signing the contract five, six weeks to actually getting to Russia. So I didn't get to Russia till about the second week of August. Now training camp starts mid July in the KHL, as you know, Steve. Um, so Luckily enough, I have an assistant strength coach. Um, his name's Andre, and he's been just fantastic this year. He's great. Um, he's also a huge Mike Boyle guy, so that's kind of put my mind at ease right when I found that out. Um, so no, nobody's doing back squats, just to, just to check. Uh, oh, uh, well, no, he would. Uh, it was my programming for, for, for one part. So, uh, you know, uh, the six weeks of training camp, which is – I, I think obviously way too much for the guys three, four weeks, I think is more than enough per personal opinion. But uh, anyway, regardless, six weeks was all my uh, programming and I would just put, you know, the YouTube video beside it. And I actually still used a very edited version of, of, of uh, your database that you guys use for the Chinese Olympic committee. So it's very edited now my way, but I still have that same, you know, session template and, you know, um, but I just loved it. So I just stack, uh, stuck with it. 
So Andre was great. We communicate daily and he would kind of uh, fill me in on how the boys were doing. We had an RPE scale going for the guys. So of course there's little I could do, you know, being there is one thing. And I always like to coach presently. I hate, you know, doing remote stuff. That's not me. I'm always in, I love in-person stuff. That's kind of always how I've been. I've been. So the, the training camp was, um, was great. And then I got there and then the last two weeks were great. And then we had, uh, um, uh, a tournament in St. Petersburg and, uh, then season started and, and uh, but you know, it, everything was great when, when I started to get there, but everything was, I, I, my mind was at ease the whole time because Andre was, was more than capable of doing it. Um, so that was obviously good. And, uh, Kevin Chapman, our good mutual friend, uh, was the strength coach last year of torpedo. Um, so he coached a lot of these guys. So form wise, I didn't have to worry about that too much. And also Andre was great with that as well. So obviously when I got there, I, I like things done a little bit differently. So technique was, uh, a little heightened, uh, when I got there, but regarding COVID, yeah, I mean, that's, you're seeing that now in the NHL, right? You know, postponing of games because of guys probably getting it and, you know, they're keeping it hush hush. And uh, that's kind of what happened in the league here. And, you know, uh, you know, went through our team and, and uh, I got it personally. Um, and, uh, you know, you had to do the two week quarantine and uh, our team kind of powered through it. And, you know, we had guys, guys getting called up from the, you know, tier three team to play and uh, 16 year old kids were playing. And, and uh, you know, we went on a bit of a tough stretch there because we literally had no players because everyone had to go into that, you know, uh, immediate uh, 10 to 14 day quarantine. So that was obviously a little hard on the team, but uh, it happened early on in the year. And then, you know, we've been strong ever since. So um, I feel very safe though, over here in, 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 in all jokes aside kind of thing. I, uh, you know, we get three tests a week still, and we get two antibody blood tests a month. So our doctors are, are all over it. Um, and uh, they really take good care of us. So. Nice. That's good to hear that they're looking after you and you're getting so much um, sort of regular testing and, and things like that. Um, what were the, what kind of shape were the players in when they came into the, um, in for the preseason because I know you hear all sorts of stories of um you know players just kind of like going off the rails a little bit in the off season uh, and uh, even you know even going back into the the NHL and you've got some guys you know Steve you would talk about it a little bit and um some of the guys come in some come in in great shape and are really you know pumped for the season and ready to go and some guys have just you know been hanging out with their mates and haven't even thought about a gym or an ice rink for, for weeks. So what, you know, what was your experience there and, and how do you differentiate between those two kind of pools of players? Should I say like, you've got, you know, you eventually need to get everyone kind of on the same page, but how do you deal with those two kind of different groups of players? Well, I, I would generally, you know, we do a team workout, um, obviously daily uh, and, and ice. And then David and I, we, communicate daily, uh, just like you and Kurt did all last year, Steve. Um, you're always talking, you're in the coach's room. Hey, who needs this? Who needs that? You know, this David guys, this guy's slow as molasses. We need to get his bum going kind of thing. So, you know, I would have them either guys would be overweight. So they'd enter the fat camp as, as you guys know, uh, a lot more bikes, strict, uh, eating requirements. Um, you know, you hear that story of Dustin Bufflin when he showed up like 30 pounds overweight to Winnipeg Jets training camp and they had him eat every meal at the rink and do two workouts a day kind of thing. That's what we do for some players if they were extremely overweight. So we had one case this year, but, you know, these guys are pro athletes at the end of the day, so they can drop weight pretty quick. Um, so th that's how we would kind of get everyone on the same page. Obviously, there's always going to be some, uh, you know, uh, dangling fruit, if you will, but, uh, we try to keep everyone on the same page. Um, but the fourth line guys, you know, you can do so much, but they're not getting, they're getting limited minutes. So we try to keep them, you know, aerobically and, and most, uh, aerobically fit and, and, uh, mostly a lactic as well. So, um, you know, as I say, it's, 
you're just trying to do what you can every day to, to make everyone better. And whether it be a new foam rolling technique, you're teaching a guy or, or just to get, you know, just landing mechanics, who knows? Yeah. Oh man. It's it, like you say, it's really hard in that league, isn't it? Because the travel is, is just absolutely crazy. And the game schedule is absolutely crazy. How have you found it? Uh, obviously you travel away with the, with the team and, have you found going rink to rink and trying to get workouts in and, and sort of how have you adapted to, to that situation? So as you know, Steve, I think the only requirement league requirement is like four or five, six bikes um, and maybe a barbell and, and a couple of plates. Um, so, you know, you're trying, you're being inventive as possible. Uh, obviously I have my gym bag, my travel bag, which is a lot of bands, a lot of mini bands, Eric's pads, um, you know, uh, bad, any, any type of thing I can think of the soccer ball, God forbid you forget that. Um, that's huge for the guys sewer ball beforehand, but, um, you know, I, I found a lot of band stuff just with holding it. Like I'll tie the band around the bike and the bikes are usually pretty heavy and we can do chops. We can do pal off presses. We can do, you know, rows, we can do pushes. So you gotta be inventive and you gotta think of on your feet, um, and that's what I've, that's, what's really worked for me. And then of course, Steve, as you know, other arenas are amazing and they have a, an away gym, which has a couple pieces of equipment, dumbbells. So you can actually get a proper lift in for the guys that are either rehabbing, not playing, or if you have like a mobility uh, session or whatever before the game or after the game. Yeah. It's uh, it's again, one of those things of, of being a good person, right. Is when you, you know, around the league, you, everybody's competing, but you do, uh, you know, you go out of your way to make friends with these other strength coaches. And then all of a sudden you get pretty decent gyms to be able to work out in. I mean, I can just think of, you know, guys like, like Hassan over at Spartak, like you have a chat to him. Yeah. Yeah. Of course you go, you can use a gym when, when we're not in it or, you know, those guys as well. So I was always the same. I, I tried, we had a nice gym over in Beijing. So I made the effort to speak to the strength guys on other teams and say, listen, like, you know, at the end of the day, one workout is not going to make the difference of whether you're going to win this game or you're going to lose this game. So, um, but over the course of a season, you want to get as many sort of touch sessions as you can with those guys. So if I'm, if I'm a decent guy and I let you come into our gym, then hopefully when we come to your place, you're going to be decent and return the favor. And I think that was how I sort of, try to to do it as much as possible um sometimes it's it's not possible to do it like that and sometimes you know i can think of some of those away uh gyms aren't the the best uh equipped that you've ever been in but um you know you just have to try and make it work like that i love what you're saying there about the uh the other like strength and conditioning coaches within the the league um how do you guys kind of balance that like that obviously your teams are competing against each other but then you've got this other little network that you're you know you're a part of and you're trying to make a good impression on because ultimately a lot of those guys um are peers of peers of yours but also like they might be a recommendation for the next job and so actually again like how do, how do you kind of balance that relationship with the coaches on the other teams as well as being you know competitors steve do you want to start off or do you want me to go um sure i think i mean i i think it, it probably comes down to how you are as a person you know generally i am very easygoing i like to think i'm pretty easygoing and, and like i said earlier one one swallow doesn't make a summer and one workout isn't going to make the difference between you winning a championship or not. So um, I don't have an issue with um, kind of helping out with, with guys and, and hoping that they help out with me. And, and my experience certainly last year was there are so many beauties around the league. Um, I, again, I'll, I won't name a name, but if he listens, he'll know exactly who I mean. I went to a road trip um and one of the strength coaches came with a puck bag and normally we keep those you know you keep pucks in them you put ice in them to keep the pucks frozen and he came to me and he said oh i've got this for you and i thought why are you giving me a puck bag i, I don't need this and i open it up and it's stacked full of beers and i'm like what a guy um so yeah absolute beauty um i think it's something that young coaches probably don't realize 
is that you can be friends with people on the opposition. The players all know each other. The players have all played in other places. It's a small, once you get into elite sport, it's a small world. So all of the players I knew, you'd catch them after games chatting to, to opposition because they, they know them. The coaches know each other from the, from the opposition. So like I said, yeah, it's all business when you're on the ice competing. But aside from that, you know, you will, you know, it's not uncommon for coaches who know each other from previous situations will go out for dinner together. Strength coaches will do the same thing or guys will grab a workout. I've got a, a great photo actually of, of uh, Cax and Chappie having a workout together. I think it was over summer in Toronto, maybe. Um, but, but everybody knows everybody and, and people are, are pretty friendly about it. Yeah, I mean, to your point, you know, a great example was, um, you know, a couple of days ago, uh, we were we were in Moscow playing Avangard and uh, Brennan Bolby, you know, who I got introduced to through Chappie and, and Steve, you obviously told me to reach out to him. Great guy, like awesome guy. You know, he reached out to me two days prior. What do you need? Let me know. Text text me if you want to use our gym. No problem. And, but I had reached out to Brendan in the summer and we had jumped in a couple of calls and I said, you know, how's the situation over there? What's going on? Is the league following through? And he, he, he's been in Russia for years, as you know, Steve. So he was, uh, you know, he's been sending me links for getting equipment and, and it's just small stuff that, you know, would take me an hour. It took me two minutes because of Brendan. So, I, you know, I can't thank him enough. And, and they're going to be, you know, in our barn in a couple of weeks. So I'm just going to return the favor. And that, yeah. that's just kind of how it works. And, and I haven't met Hassan yet, but, uh, you know, we play them next week. So that's, that's a text that's just going to happen. And, and, uh, that may come in our bar in a couple of weeks now. So, yeah. you know, they're both, every- they're both a couple of beauties. Those guys, Brandon and Hassan, they're both awesome. They, they were so helpful to me in the league. And, uh, like you said, there's no issues around the fact that you're, you're the competing team. So yeah, a lot of respect for both of those guys. Yeah. Sounds wicked. Um, Obviously, your last team, Andrew, was a was a women's team. So you've now worked in both sort of professional men's and professional women's um, hockey. And you know, you touched on the uh, the canoe team before. What? Just wanted to ask you a little bit about the difference in the culture and the approach to the approach to the game between the men's and women's teams. Um, and then finally, maybe if you want to touch on how you approached working in a different sport when you were back in China. So I would say that uh, the biggest difference for me, I mean, could I touch on just basically anything regarding men, men's or women's hockey? Is that kind of what yeah, yeah, just just want to know what the you know, what the culture's like, how the how the athletes react, how that what they're looking for from you. Are they you know, are they looking for for certain things that are a little different or how do you, how do you approach that? Well, first off, I mean, we only had, we had 28 season games over the course of five or six months. So whereas the KHL is 60, 62. So that's obviously a huge difference right there. Um, you know, in, in December last year, I got three and a half weeks off. I was, I remember telling Steve, yeah, I'm going home for three weeks. He couldn't believe it. Like, it was like, what? So, you know, that right there is huge. So we didn't really do heart rate monitor stuff. There was no need for load monitoring because they don't play enough to load monitor. You know, we play, we play, we played twice a week max and they were back to back games. So, you know, with, with my head coach at the time, Brian Adolski and assistant coach, Max Markowitz, who are again, still good friends of mine to this day. I still keep in touch with them. Those guys were amazing. You know, they they educated me a lot on the female side of things because Brian's been in female hockey for 12 years so he showed me the differences um some you know just small things like like all these girls are severely educated you know they've all done a university degree some of them have done a master's degree now I'm not saying that male hockeys aren't educated but most of them don't have a four-year degree so that's something I know knew right there a lot of the girls were very very smart in the sense that they could hold an edu- you know, a highly educated conversation with me. Not that the males can't, but it's just like that, that was the, that's kind of the discrepancy, if, if that makes sense. Um, they also, the care and, and the, the, the learning for their bodies was, was really um, apparent um, to, from what I remember with the girls is that they wanted to know why with everything. And it made me a better coach because 
Um, you know, I would have to obviously know what the hell I was talking about. Well, do this. Well, why am I doing this? And this, this, and this. Okay, do it. We couldn't always have that conversation because sometimes I just need you to move some weight. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, with the boys, it's the same thing. But you can, you can always tell them, hey, this is why we're doing this. Okay, coach, I'm doing it right away. There's no, you know, let's have a conversation about this. So that was, that was something I, I noticed right away. Um, the other thing is um, just how, like, just the culture was different. So, you know, you guys know with, with males and females, it, it, it can different, very, very different. Excuse me. It can be very, very different at times. So like the boys, they roll with the punches. Whereas the women, sometimes, you know, they would nitpick at, 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 at small things. But that's no, that would be no issue. And they would just generally like, for example, let's go, let's go to the food. So, you know, the girls would be like, well, let's make sure this, this, and this is there. Whereas sometimes the boys are like, oh, great, we have this, this, and this. So that was kind of some things that I noted that were just small differences. Overall, I, I loved working with the women's side. It, it was an amazing experience. And it obviously got me to this experience. Um, but that's kind of generally... Um, the general small things I found that were, were different. That's awesome, man. And you worked with, uh, with some pretty big names in women's hockey, eh? There were some, uh, some, some kind of Olympic stars in that team last year as well. So that must've been a pretty cool experience. That, that was awesome. I mean, uh, you know, Alex Carpenter uh, and I, we, we, she, she's an amazing athlete. Uh, she's one of those girls that'll do anything you tell her in the gym. Uh, she's a Mike Boyle girl. So uh, I have a small relationship with Mike, whether it's just emails and, and a little bit of FaceTime, but nothing too, too, too extreme. But, uh, you know, I kept in touch with Mike throughout the whole year while I was training Alex, Megan Bozak, uh, Nora Ratty, Jessica Wong, you know, all team, team USA girls, uh, team Canada and, and uh, Finland uh, respectively. Awesome. Um, yeah. So let's just go back, um, back into China. If you, if I don't want to, I don't want to give you PTSD, but we'll go back to that training base in, in Hangzhou. Um, you came across and you worked with, with the canoe kayak team, right? Um, completely away from hockey now. How was that as an experience for you? I know you'd not worked in that sport before. Um, so how did you find that? How did you approach it? Uh, what were your sort of experiences there? Well, we, uh, you know, I was blessed to have Phil with me, uh, amazing athletic therapist, uh, you know, Philip G. Joseph. He was, he was just amazing. We had Lucy as well, Lucy Nanjun, who I still keep in touch with. And I still keep in touch with Phil on a, you know, weekly or monthly basis. Cause it's always nice to pick their brains because they're great physios and athletic therapists respectively. Um, but the, my first thing was that we had uh, Sasha Alexander as our, you know, our head coach and he was, uh, at the mixed coach at the time. Now he's the head of the female side, um, at the time. So, or, or now he is, excuse me, but, um, Sasha is a student of the sport. He was an Olympian and now he's been in, he's been coaching it for 30 years. So I just, the first two, three weeks, Phil and I just sat down and absorbed from him and, you know, what do you want from us? And, and, you know, here's what we can offer you from what you've told us, um, what do you think? And so it was, you know, I've never done that before because he's always used to just bench press, you know, bench pull, um, max back squat, stuff like that. But he was a very open-minded coach and he was very an outside the box coach. So Phil and I knew we could, you know, maybe bend them in a little different direction because as we know, canoeing is a unilateral sport. And so they're super imbalanced with their hips. So we did a lot of you know, mobility sessions with the girls, um, a lot of strengthening their non-dominant legs. Um, and he, he loved it. He thoroughly bought in. And the best part about it is every six weeks we tested and our results kept getting better. So he obviously was like, okay, this is amazing. Let's do less of this and more of what you're doing. So we kept kind of building blocks, if you will. We kept building slow by slow with him and, and he loved it. And I mean, we worked with him for eight, nine months and it was, it was very successful. So uh, I, I loved it too. Cause he was just a hilarious Serbian guy that, uh, you know, never <laughs> was never too far away from a beer. So 
<laughs> he was an amazing guy that, uh, you know, I learned so much from. And actually, I, um, we still keep in touch, whether it's just like, you know, once a month, but he's just the type of guy to uh, that you just want to keep in touch with till uh, still because he's such a good person. That's awesome, man. So, I mean, I'm guessing you didn't have a massive canoe knowledge when you went into the sport. So um, how did you approach that? We've had a couple of other guests talking about like needs analysis and things like that. We don't need to, you know, go in depth into it, but what was your sort of personal take on, on getting to another sport that you didn't know much about before? Well, as I said, sat down with Sasha and he would open up textbooks and he was like, he, he's like, this is the percentage they're doing with their hips. This is the percentage they're doing with their upper body. And he was like, he was like, I never had you and Phil ever. <laughs> You've been the first strength coaches and an athletic therapist to ever work for me. So I've been this, he's very exact. I've been the strength coach. I've been the athletic therapist and I've been the head coach and the assistant coach. So he's done it all for years. And then now he was given us. So, you know, we sat down with him. I learned as much as I could with, from him. And then we went, we, we circled back. And then we said, listen, you obviously need a lot more, you know, their, their hips need to be driving hard. So we said, let's do some Olympic lifts. Let's do some hip dominant, you know, glute activating exercises. Um, he loved that. So he's like, and then we showed him what we meant. Oh, he loved that. He was also a big form technique guy, which was very surprising because he's like a 65 year old Serbian guy who, you know, he showed us his form. He used to, he worked out after our workouts and his form was atrocious, but he was always like, make sure their form's perfect. So that was very interesting. So Phil and I, we learned so much on the stroke in the canoe. We learned how to paddle. Phil and I actually got in boats and we paddled. We fell so many times, but we were, you know, I've canoed back in Canada because that's also a big thing. So I've canoed, but they're very skinny, as you guys know. So, you know, like we actually showed that we cared and the girls were trying to teach us. So not only did we try their sport, you know, they, they more appreciated it when we were in the gym with them, working hard with them, if that makes sense, because we would try and actually we got quite good. I mean, good, but uh, good for us. <laughs> yeah, so I, I. I think that's so important that you got out there and tried it. Like I mentioned before about getting on the ice with figure skating, even though I made a fool of myself and they could all see how bad I was at it. The fact that I was able to get out there and like you said, you were able to get out there, even if you spent half your time swimming, the fact that you were able to actually try it out. And, and then when you're talking to them, you have a whole different a different appreciation for what they're doing, but they also know that, you know, how it feels now. Uh, and so I think that's, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you, obviously we've mentioned that training base was down in, was in Hongzhou in China, not a bad part of the world and a pretty beautiful training base, if I remember rightly, but what I did want to just touch on, was when you were with the women's team, they were in Shenzhen. That's correct, right? You guys were in yep. Shenzhen. That, for anybody who doesn't know, is is a tropical paradise. It's like palm trees on the street, humidity just off the scale. Um, we had six weeks training training in there, and you got guys on on the ice, and the condensation is so bad that you can't see from one end to the other. So. Um, just, you know, like it doesn't even have to be about work, but how did you find, you know, you're a Toronto boy. It, it gets pretty cold there in the winter time. Like how did you find living out there in Shenzhen? Oh, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I, I, I love hot weather. I love heat. So uh, take me back boys. Get me out of Nizhny. <laughs> oh boy. I tell you, I remember Stevie Casper, who is an unbelievable guy, our assistant coach, he walked, to the rink we were in the hotel we walked across the road which is maybe only a 10 minute walk but he did it in his full game suit it's like 35 degrees humidity off the charts and he is just dripping so um and i i won't say too much of this story if you don't want me to say it cax but i remember one night we had in Shenzhen. I don't know how much you remember of that evening but we uh we got very lucky we got to go and see the UFC which was oh, uh 
amazing. That was a really, really fun experience. And then um, you had a pretty interesting taxi ride home, if I remember. Yeah, uh, I mean, well, no, you remember it. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you still managed to get there. So somehow, somehow it was just down the street. And I guess the guy understood me. I think I was speaking Mandarin at that point. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you'd had enough tequila to be speaking fluent by that, by that point. Um, listen, we, uh, man, it's, it, we could talk about this for hours. It's so much fun. The three of us getting together and, and catching up just before we sign off, uh, you know, what's your, let, let's know your social media handles. If guys want to get hold of you and reach out. Uh, at a Kaiser, um, on Instagram. I'm not on Twitter as you guys know. Um, and, and really that's it. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. No, that's good. We've, um, you know, we've just obviously launched, this is episode five for us. So we've launched the, uh, all the socials for here as well. So you can find us on Twitter at, at perform talks and you can find us on Instagram at performance talks. So, um, Cax, I mean, it's, it's just been an absolute pleasure my man it always is we have a, a lot of good fun yeah i love chatting with you mate thanks so much boys as i said uh really really appreciative and and thankful you guys stopped, had me on so uh, thank you so much guys appreciate it